Grab your Bible this morning, friends, if you wouldn't open it to Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, and we're going to continue this journey uh, called Kingdom Come, where we're learning about what Jesus meant when the Bible says he came to preach, hear me now, the gospel of the kingdom. The Bible says that at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he began to preach the kingdom of God is near, and from that time on, he continued preaching that message. And, and sometimes we reduce the gospel to less than the gospel of the kingdom, and we've been learning what the gospel of the kingdom is over these last five weeks. We're going to kind of wind that up next week. But this morning, let me ask you as we step out into the beginning of summer, let me ask you, what did you want to be when you were a kid? When you were fourth grader, fifth grader, whatever, when you were a middle schooler, what, what did you dream of being when you grew up? We all probably had multiple dreams. At one point, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a race car driver. You know, we grew up in our family going to the races every Friday night, drag races every Saturday night, so I was in that environment all the time. And uh, for a while, I wanted to be a race car driver. And, and then for a while, when I was a kid, the Apollo programs were happening, and so uh, I decided I wanted to be an astronaut not for a while and told my mom and dad that and and then I got a little older and I wanted to be Spock and that was not my brightest part of my uh, upbringing but it was there um, I wasn't aiming very high but this week I came across some kids who were a little different than you and me you can take away that slide now yeah we had enough of that but I came across some kids who were a little different than you and me like this young man his name is Akrit Jaswal. I think I'm pronouncing that right. He was so smart that he was reading Shakespeare and studying cell regeneration at the age of six. He performed his first medical surgery as a surgeon at the age of seven, successfully separating and repairing a badly burned little girl's fingers. When he was asked what he wanted to do when he grew up, he said he was planning to cure cancer, and I believe him. <laughs> Think about that. Or, or there's, there's this little guy. His name is Romanijo Golfin Jr. He's got an awesome name. He taught himself to read when he was 17 months old, began to get interested in physics at two, started building models of atoms and molecules when he was four, and at six decided that his lifelong calling was to research theoretical physics. When he was asked how he got so interested in science, he said, I like the big words, like cyclohexane carboxylic acid. <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to be able to do that. When asked what he's going to do when he grows up, he said, he's pretty sure Einstein got some stuff wrong and he wants to fix it. <laughs> These are real people, right? How about this little girl? Her, her name is Alexis Martin. She was the youngest person ever admitted to Mensa, which is a society of really smart people, with an IQ of over 160 at the age of four. The average adult American has an IQ somewhere around 100. <laughs> Hers was 160 plus at the age of four. By that time, she had already memorized all 50 states with the state capitals, all 196 countries in the world with their capitals. She taught herself to read and write. Then she got a hold of mom's iPad, started monkeying around, and taught herself in six months to speak Spanish. 
Do you know what she's planning to be when she grows up? Your boss and mine too, <laughs> right? I mean, think about that. How stunning is it? This stuff, it would be hard to believe if it weren't, you know, factual, real stuff. But what was, and there's more kids. I could, I could go on and on. I kind of picked three from the top of the, the heap there. But what was so fascinating to me about each of these kids was that even though they are incredibly smart and gifted, when you read about them and watch little videos and get to know them a little bit, it's clear that they're very much still kids. Acrete loves soccer and video games. Romanijo is a big fan of Legos. He's all about his Legos. Alexis likes to have tea parties with her dolls and tickle fights with dad. Now, most of us would assume that it's impossible to be genius-level smart and childlike at the same time. But the truth is that an innocent heart can exist with a brilliant mind, and in fact, God insists that you and I aim for it. Let me say it again. A brilliant mind can exist with a childlike heart. Not only can it, God calls you and I to aim for it. We've been learning about the kingdom of God that Jesus preached and, and about the fact that he didn't come just to get us to heaven, but that in fact he came to get heaven into us, beginning here and now and then extending into eternity. And we've learned over these last five weeks that, that the gospel isn't like a backstage pass to the party after the show is over. It's much more like an invitation from God's band on stage for us to join him on stage in what he's doing in our world. And we learned in the second week that the gospel is less about crossing boundaries and more about changing direction. And we heard Jesus say there are lots of people that are outside the boundaries, but because of the direction they're going, they're in the kingdom. And there's lots of people inside the boundaries, but because of the direction they're going, they're headed out of the kingdom. And then in the third week, we learned that the gospel isn't a free pass to keep going the wrong way. Grace doesn't mean, oh, I made a wrong turn. Well, I, it doesn't matter. Grace is an invitation to make a U-turn and to get back moving in the direction that God intends for us. And then in the fourth week, we learned a really tough lesson that the gospel of the kingdom is not an invitation to just go with the flow wherever our culture leads, but it is a call to love enough to tell the truth even when we're hated for it. Jesus said, blessed are you when men hate you and exclude you and insult you because of the Son of Man. And then in the fifth week we learned last week that the gospel is, is what happens as we choose what we see about each other. Paul said the kingdom is a matter of righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. We explored what that means, what we choose to see about each other. This morning, God wants to talk to us about the fact that the kingdom of God is what happens when you humble yourself enough to grow a childlike heart. <laughs> Let me say that again. When, when we humble ourselves enough to grow a childlike heart. I invite you to turn to Mark chapter six, or Mark chapter 10. Listen to what Jesus says, verses 13 to 16 of Mark chapter 10. The Lord is speaking. Uh, the Bible says, people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Marvelous word. He was indignant. He said to them, 
Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and he put his hands on them and he blessed them. Let's talk about this together for a little bit. First of all, notice that in this moment, friends, Jesus isn't just being sentimental about the kids like we are sometimes. That's not at all what's happening. This is more than that. Twice in this moment, he calls our attention to the kingdom of God. Jesus is using this moment not to be sentimental, but to teach us something. He's not condescending to the kids. He's elevating them and calling us to learn something from them. We can all understand why the disciples might have been trying to keep the kids away. Don't interrupt the adult stuff. But Jesus takes that moment and says, hey, let me teach you about adult stuff. And it begins when you and I begin to learn from these kids. Now, now notice also that when he says children in this passage, he's using the Greek word for toddlers, like preschoolers. He isn't inviting you and I to think of babies or preteens. So in your mind's eye, picture toddlers. Think two to five-year-olds. And then ask yourself, when was the last time you learned something from one of them? Yeah, that's an interesting question. When was the last time you learned something from one of them? I remember when, when uh, our son was a toddler like that and, and Rhonda uh, was frequently had stuff going on on Saturday morning and kind of our routine there for a while was that Isaiah and I would go to the local McDonald's in the playland and he would play with the kids and, and I would sit there for like an hour, hour and a half and, and there was this adult part of me that was bored out of my skull and then there was this other part of me that was fascinated by watching the kids and their interactions and what they said and what they did and how they did it because I knew that Jesus said that I'm supposed to learn from them. That's exactly what he's saying to you and me this morning. Learn from these kids. And and, and the seriousness of the Lord's indignation is clear. Look again at verse 15. I tell you the truth. Whenever you see those words in Scripture, Jesus is is laying great emphasis on that moment. He he is calling our our, uh, intense attention to, to what he's about to say. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Those are sobering words. Are you planning to spend eternity in the Father's house? Are you, are you saying yes to Jesus' invitation to enter the kingdom? If you are, then listen up. Because Jesus is saying that the pursuit of childlikeness is a non-negotiable prerequisite for entering the kingdom. Wow! That's a big deal. You know how they used to say back in the day, I'm going to date myself a little bit, they used to say, the American Express card, don't leave home without it. (laughs) Jesus is saying something like that. He's saying you can't get home without this. I I remember one time, not long after uh, Ron and I moved to Enumclaw, and and, uh, I I drove into the Circle K down the street here on 244th, and I was in a hurry like I too often am, and I jumped out of my truck, and I ran inside, and I got whatever it was that I needed, and I ran back outside 
only to realize that not only had I left my truck running, and not only had I left my keys inside my running truck, but I had made very sure to lock my truck when I jumped out of the truck. And so I ran outside and realized my truck is sitting here idling, the keys are inside, and the door's locked. And there was absolutely nothing I could do except call a locksmith and then sit there like an idiot for three hours next to my running truck, wondering if it's going to have enough gas, answering the quizzical look of 500 people who came in and out of the store during that time. Uh, yeah, I know, you know, the locksmith is coming. And then they finally came. And then, you know, to kind of top it all off, it was like 200 bucks for the locksmith to come. And I remember thinking in that moment, the power's right there, but I can't access it. My truck is running, it's right in front of me, I'm sitting right next to it, but I am utterly unable to make use of it. And in the same way, Jesus says to me and to you, if you won't learn from children, if you won't learn childlikeness, you can be sitting right next to the kingdom and be unable to enter it. Now, now friends, when we, when we talk about this, it's always important you know this, that we distinguish between childlikeness and childishness. Those are two different things. Jesus isn't advocating that we act like spoiled brats, so to speak. He's talking about innocence, not stupidity or selfishness. You say, or we might say, well, you can't have intelligence alongside innocence, but remember, we already saw in the case of Akrit and Roman Nihu and Alexis and many others that that's not the case. They're innocent, but they're not dumb. Both Luke and Matthew emphasize this same thing. Uh, Matthew tells us, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who won't receive the kingdom like a little child will never enter it. And then over in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So if you and me want to say yes to his invitation to enter the kingdom, and we do, then we're going to have to ask ourselves what he did mean by childlikeness. We know he didn't mean that we should deliberately try to be ignorant because he said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. So, so what did he mean? Well, in, in the 15 minutes or so that we have left, let me help you see what he meant. It's four things primarily. First of all, Jesus was praising the little children for their humility. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, the scripture says, He called a little child and had him stand among them and said, Whoever humbles himself like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What did he mean by that? Kids are aware of their limitations. They know instinctively that the world doesn't depend on them, that their world doesn't depend on them, and that their world will get along just fine without them. But very often we forget that. And we begin to act as if the responsibility for the world rests on our shoulders, as if it's all up to us. Kids know better. One of the best books I ever read by a guy named Milton Rokich, and the book was called The Three Christs of Ypsilanti. Ypsilanti is a city in Michigan. And the book was about a group of men in a psychiatric hospital who were there because they all believed that they were Jesus. And no one could cure them of this delusion. 
He says it made for some interesting conversations sometimes. You know, one of them would say, well, Jesus said this. And the other guy would say, well, no, I didn't. And on and on it would go like that. And nobody could help them. But along came Dr. Rokic, and he had a novel approach. He said, I want to take these guys, and I want to move them into a group home together, and I want to teach them how to serve each other. Because in that experience, we can help them discover that they aren't Jesus, the Son of God. They are human beings. They will, to put it in Rokic's words, be able to discover their true smallness, their appropriate smallness. And they did. It succeeded. More progress was made with them than any other therapy used. They were able to become functioning adults within their limitations. And it's an amazing story about how the key was each of them discovering their smallness and receiving it and owning it and then serving each other. And through that serving, discovering who they were more thoroughly than they did in their delusions. Friends, listen to me. You and I need to discover how small we are or we will never be able to receive the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is talking about. Kids have a natural humility. I love what Charles Barkley says, one of my favorite quotes of all time. He said, it doesn't matter what you do with your life or how fantastic your success is. A billion Chinese don't care. (laughs) It's true. And we can throw in a billion Indians as well, right? They just don't care. No matter what you do or don't do. And and there's a a smallness, an understanding of our smallness that is healthy for us. That's why Jesus said, whoever humbles himself like this little child. Over in Romans chapter 12, the scripture says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith you've been given. Why? Because the shoulders of your soul and mine were never made to carry the weight of the world. It's just an illusion. It's just a fantasy. It's just a delusion. It is in fact an insanity. And Jesus wants you and I to discover that. One of the things I had to learn as a pastor is that God has only called me to be responsible for things he's given me control over. And there's a lot of things he hasn't given me control over. And as we discover that, we're able to enter the kingdom. Lots of people can't experience the kingdom of God because they think too much depends on them. God wants to set you free from that. He wants you to learn from a child. He wants you to learn from a toddler or preschooler who doesn't think anything depends on them, even as they go about their business. Martin Luther put it beautifully. He said, God creates out of nothing. Therefore, until a man is nothing, God can't do anything with him. (laughs) I like that. I like that. To help the guys in the audience remember, I came up with a little visual cue to help you guys remember a man's got to know his limitations, right? I think there's a slide for that. Is there a slide for that? Come on, there's a slide for that. No, there's not. It's supposed to be Clint Eastwood's big ugly mug up there, uh, and you get the idea. I was trying to help the guys uh, get that together. So Jesus wants us to learn from the kid's humility. Whoever humbles himself like a little child enters the kingdom. Whoever won't, can't. And then the second thing Jesus praises is the kid's joy. He says, let them come to me. They're running to me. They want to come to me. They're drawn to me. Let them come. Have you ever watched the way kids come to their favorite grown-ups? 
A lot of times it's grandma and grandpa. A lot of times it's an older brother or an older sister. Um, uh, you know, Rhonda teaches uh, in the preschoolers class uh, every other month. And uh, that's why uh, very often you won't see her in the sanctuary on a Sunday morning. And um, her experience in there is incredible because as we go around town, everywhere we go, these kids come running up to her. Teacher, teacher. They don't know her name. She's teacher. But anyway, they run up to her and they're like, oh, yeah, I love you. And, you know, the park and the parking lot and the grocery store. And it is amazing to watch the way they run towards her. But here's the thing. How rarely do we draw near to God with the same kind of abandoned joy? Instead, we're like, oh, God, I don't want to bother you. I don't want to interrupt you. I don't want to barge in on you. God, I'm just going to keep my distance over here because that's what adults do. It's not what kids do. Kids draw near with abandoned joy. The scripture tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, that we as, as sons and daughters of, of God, we cry out, Abba, Father. The word Abba means Papa, Daddy. We cry out to him with a childlike, abandoned joy. Hebrews tells us in chapter 10, verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. In other words, run to him with abandon. Draw near to him without reservation. We cry, Abba, Father. I remember when Isaiah was a toddler and I would come home from work, and oh boy, was it a moment. He would stand at the, the big bay window of our little house in Lacey, and he could look out, and he would see my truck pull up, and I'd see him start bouncing, and I'd come in, and we'd have this tackle thing, and I'd pick him up and roll him around, and it was a, a moment. And God says, Greg, I want you to come to me like that. I want you to draw near to me with that kind of abandoned joy. To enter the kingdom is to be like a child in this way. Kids are capable of being delighted by small and simple things like sticks and balls and boxes and Tupperware. And they laugh without self-consciousness. They get excited and they don't try to hide it. They are what we call emotionally intimate. They receive gifts with abandon. I always remember one Christmas when uh, Isaiah was about that age and we were driving back from our, our visiting our family in Eugene and it was his first video game we got him and it's this little video game console that he could play in the back of the car and, and he was just thrilled. He was so excited and he, he wanted to be buckled into his car seat so he could get with his game and, and then he just started playing this thing and somewhere north of Portland after like two hours of blissful silence in the car, suddenly he goes... Dad, my thumb hurts. <laughs> yeah, you think, right? <laughs> right? But he just received the, the, the gift with abandoned joy. God says, you and I got to learn how to do that, to receive his grace with abandoned joy. You know, we stand up in worship and we go, okay, let's be appropriate in this moment. <laughs> but God says, I need you, Greg, to learn how to be like a child in moments like this. So it's about humility. It's about learning joy for them. Here's the third thing. Kids are capable of great trust. They embody Jesus' teaching. Don't worry about tomorrow. They live with an explicit dependence on mom and dad. And because of this, they are not preoccupied with tomorrow or yesterday. Not so preoccupied with those things that they can't live in today. Are you? Kids live one day at a time, one hour at a time, one minute at a time. And they do that because they believe someone else is keeping things together and that someone else is handling tomorrow and next month and next year. If you ask a child halfway through a summer afternoon, what are you eating for dinner? They'll shrug and go, I don't know, mom's got that. God says, Greg, learn from that. 
Greg, when you're 20, I've got your 30 and your 40 and your 50 and your 60 and your 70. I've got it all figured out. You be in this moment with me and the people around you. Kids are capable of a trust that enables them to live like that. To put it another way, to put it biblically, their faith exceeds their understanding. Jesus says, hey, learn from this or you won't be able to enter the kingdom. Do you remember the glorious feeling? I know you do because I do. Do you remember the glorious feeling of, of endless summers as a kid? You got out of school and it was like going back to school is like in the next millennium. It's never going to happen. We don't care. We're free today. This summer's going to This summer, this day is never going to end. This is so awesome. God says, live like that. We have church eternal life. Hello? That's what we have in Jesus. The one thing you should never say is, I don't have enough time. You and I, the one thing we have in limitless abundance is time. When I was a kid, I was a little bit reckless because I didn't think I knew everything, so I climbed trees and rode my bike fast and went swimming in the river because I trusted. Jesus is saying to us, hey, remember how you were. Like, be like that now. Learn to be like that rediscover what you once knew. Describing the way that toddlers see the world, one poet writes this, when I, when I look at a patch of dandelions, I see weeds trying to take over my yard. My daughters see flowers for mom and blowing white fluff that you can make wishes on. When I feel the wind on my face, I worry about it messing up my hair or slowing me down when I walk. My kids spread their arms and try to fly and then fall down laughing. When I see a mud puddle, I see dirty shoes and stained carpets, and I do everything I can to avoid it. My kids see a mud puddle, and they sit down in it. They see dams and bridges to build and worms to play with and a handy source of neat face paint. He says, we're different, my kids and me. And sometimes I wonder who's closer to God. Wait a minute. No, I don't. <laughs> Kids don't worry, they trust. They live exactly like Jesus invites us to. Through the prophet Isaiah, God tried to help Israel see this in chapter 49 of Isaiah when the prophet cried out, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I never will forget you. And God wants us to trust that. God wants us to live inside of that kind of trust. The way Jesus put it always captures me in Matthew chapter 10. He said, even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. For some of us, he can number the hairs on our head with one hand. <laughs> but they're all numbered. Every last one of them. Kids trust. They don't worry. Fourth, the last one, is that kids understand grace instinctively. Grace towards others, they forgive quickly and easily. Do you know why? It's because they don't equate forgiveness with the loss of control. But we do. We tend to. They have no illusion of control, so they don't feel like they're losing it when they forgive. You know, I was talking about taking Isaiah to that McDonald's playland. I'll, I'll always remember one morning, I don't know, he was maybe four, three, something like that, and we were down there, and there were a few other dads and moms there, and, and all the kids are doing their thing, and, and, and I don't know who started it or caused it, but pretty soon Isaiah and this one little boy are shouting at each other, throwing balls and having a little fight, right? Something happened, and they were mad, and, and so me and the other dad ran over, and we separated them. No, you can't do that. That's wrong. Don't do that, so on, and we lectured him. 
It was like three minutes later they were playing together again. It was just that fast it was over. They just forgave instantly, and they were buddies for the next half hour. You know, I thought to myself, wow, how few adults can pull that off. And yet they could. They, they understood grace instinctively, not only towards others, but also in receiving it from God. Kids know they belong to mom and dad. So when they get in trouble, they draw near instead of pulling back. They assume grace when they admit guilt. I'll always remember when Isaiah was little and, and he would get in trouble and he would be legitimately disciplined for that. And maybe it even on occasion would involve a spanking. And as soon as that was over, he would turn around and put both arms around my neck and hug me and cry. As soon as that was over, he would go sit on mom's lap and read a book with her. Right after she got done disciplining, right after he was corrected, why? Because he knew he belonged, and so he understood grace. God says you and I have to understand the same thing if we're going to experience the kingdom of God. What does the Bible tell us? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But we don't think so. We keep gnawing on it and holding on to it and reminding God of it. And he says, no, when you confess that, I dealt with it. That's over. You need to re learn to receive grace like a child. Uh, let me ask you a pointed question. When was the last time you went to an altar and confessed your sins to God? You say, I, I don't want to do that. It's too much. Jesus says, you can't enter the kingdom until you become like a little child, unafraid to approach an altar, unafraid to draw near to God, even in your failures, even in your sins. This is no surprise, gang, but I have sinned and failed many times, and I am quite sure that the only thing that's kept me following Jesus all these years is his grace that's new again and again. And so, so Jesus invites us, we're almost done, to learn humility, joy, trust, and grace from our kids. And he says there's no other way to enter the kingdom, but there's one last thing he wants us to learn from our kids, and that's faith. Faith is just one step more than trust. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. I love the story about three-year-old Katie who was seeing the doctor because she had the flu. And the doctor looked in her ears, and you know how doctors are. He's trying to have a friendly kid bedside manner. So as he was looking in her ears, he said, Katie, will I find Big Bird in here? She said, no. So he said, hey, let me look in her throat. Will I find the cookie monster in here? She says, no. And so then he was listening to her heart with a stethoscope. He said, will I find Barney in here? Katie said, no, Barney's on my underwear. Jesus is in my heart. <laughs> How simple. How simple. And God invites us to sit down inside of that simple, childlike faith. Jesus says, that's how you enter the kingdom. You know, kids don't try to argue themselves out of what's obvious. They know God is there because they know that knowing has to do with much more than the intellect. The Bible says in Psalm 14, verse 1, that the fool says in his heart there is no God. And, and that word fool is, doesn't mean stupid. 
It means dishonest. It means morally bankrupt. It's the person unwilling to be honest with themselves. Paul in Romans chapter 1 writes about how since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. In other words, we all know God's there. The question is, are we willing to be honest with him and ourselves about that reality? Katie was, just in the simplest way. And Jesus says, hey, Greg, if you want to enter the kingdom, you've got to be this kind of open and honest with me. You can only enter the kingdom if you are as honest with yourself as a child is. One last story this morning. I I sat with a brilliant and accomplished older man at a dinner party for his 60th wedding anniversary. And we talked about God at one point in our time together. And we talked about the Christian faith because he's what we call a seeker. Not there yet. And he shared during our conversation his great knowledge of science and history and his wisdom about marriage and family. And and then, because he asked, I shared how I came to faith by, by thinking, by being honest, not only with the mind, but with the heart. And he said, how can you be so sure that we aren't just products of evolution and science and biology? He said, how can you be so sure? And you know, the Holy Spirit helps you in these moments. And so I said to him, Bill, that's not his name. I said, Bill, turn your head and look in your wife's eyes, would you? 60 year anniversary. He did. I said, Bill, is she an accident of biology and evolution? And this brilliant man with his host of intellectual arguments was silent. And he quietly shook his head and said, no. I said, there it is, bro. It's not hard stuff. Jesus says, if if you're not willing to just be honest, you can't enter the kingdom. Honest with yourself, honest with the God you know is there. And so the real question for all of us is, is will you be that honest? Honest to draw near to him with your sins and confess them. Honest to trust him with the rest of your life, the tomorrows that you don't have control over. Honest enough to receive with joy a summer Sunday afternoon with glorious sunshine. Or will you say to yourself, no, i got to prove something today. So I'm not going to receive this gift. Yeah, Jesus says, unless we become like a little child, we can't enter the kingdom. But anyone who's willing to enters it immediately. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God children born not of natural descent or a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God, children of God. And listen, the Holy Spirit very simply this morning, church, wants to challenge you. I don't care if you're 90 or if you're 19. Jesus is saying right here in this moment, the spirit of Jesus is saying to you and I, learn from the children in your life. Learn from them if you want to enter my kingdom. Start paying attention. I'm not calling you to be foolish and ignorant. I'm calling you to be child-hearted because that's how the kingdom happens in you. And that's how you and me enter the experience of it. You know, whenever I teach about this, I'm amazed. It's so simple and yet impossible for people who won't humble themselves to be like children.
So what are you going to choose today? What are you going to choose this morning? Can I invite you to bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning as we get ready to close this worship service? And, and as we do that, let me just ask you, are you resisting childlikeness? Are you resisting the humility, the trust, the joy, the grace, or the faith of it? Jesus invites you right here in this moment just to say to him, Lord, help me to rediscover my child heart. Teach me how to forgive easily and quickly. Teach me how to trust you with tomorrow. Lord, teach me that I am small. Teach me to live in that appropriate smallness. Where is God calling you to be more like a child? Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Jesus, for this moment that you took in order to teach us. And God, as we go back out into this world, let it be with an understanding that the most powerful thing in the world is our childlikeness. We pray for that. Lead us in it, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? Yeah, yeah, yeah.